Thanks, Jenica. Y'all give it up for Jenica. Thank you so much. Yo. If you're wondering, like, why do you guys say y'all give it up for them? We, we like to honor people a lot here, so it's just kind of what we do. We want to be a place that builds up. So, uh, like I've said it before, I'll say it again. My name's Rudy. I get to be on staff with the Salt Company here. I hope you've had a great first, I don't know, two days of classes, knowing that some of you have been here for, for well over a week. Just want to honor you. Thank you for being here tonight. Actually, three things I want to say to you. One, I do want to thank you for being here tonight. Uh, you could be anywhere else you've chosen to be here, and we're going to honor that this evening. Number two, I want you to know I'm glad that you're here. Uh, when we planted Doxa Church four years ago, we planted it with moments like this in mind. So we just want you to know that we're super glad that you all are, are here this evening in this large group in these rows. And tonight after this, you'll have an opportunity to jump into a connection group led by a leader like Jenica. Uh, that will actually be how you can move from a row to a circle, experience this large group in a smaller group. But I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. And I want to know that, that I actually think you're here for a reason. And and some of you might think like, okay, I know I'm here for a reason. I moved to Madison from a lot of people from the Bay Area, honestly. Like I just kept meeting people from California this week. Uh, but like a, a lot of you moved here to get a degree in three, four, maybe five years, um, right? Uh, but, but I actually, and I hope that happens. I, I do genuinely want you to get your degree, but I also just want you to know that I think that you may also be here for a different reason, that perhaps God brought you to the University of Wisconsin at Madison, go Badgers, uh, so that you might, yeah, yeah, so that you might come to know Jesus. Perhaps he brought you here for, for that, that reason uh, as well. Um, I could talk about Salt Company for a long time, but instead we're just gonna keep showing you what it's like. This is what we do every week, by the way. We're just not outside. Uh, next week, we're actually gonna be straight that way in Ingram Hall, so you can come join us. We're every Thursday at 8 p.m. We're gonna be in Ingram Hall uh, right over there, uh, but I'm just gonna jump into what we do, and we're starting a new series of a four-week collection of talks uh, around the words of Jesus. We're specifically calling it Three Words. Four times where Jesus says three words that change the the lives of those he's speaking them to. Next week, we'll look where Jesus says, I am he. The week after that, we'll look at where he says, come follow me. The week after that, to close, we'll look where he says, it is finished. But this week, we're looking at a specific set of three words, uh, which you just heard Jenica read, and the three words are this, which is easier? Uh, which is which is easier? Um, to that end, I just want a little bit of crowd per participation. I'm way far away and up here. Usually, I teach from, from the ground, not possible to do tonight. Uh, but I want to ask just a couple of this or that questions. Which is easier? I want to hear from the athletes in the house. Uh, which is easier, running or swimming? Let's see, running. Which is easier, running? Running, got a couple of runners. Okay, which is easier, swimming? Swimming, a couple more. I'm with you. I'm a little bit more buoyant, okay? Right, so so running or swimming. Hey, which is easier to eat? Which is easier to eat, squash or corn? Squash, 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 corn, corn. Of course, right? It's corn, right? It's a big lump with knobs. It has the juice, right? It couldn't think of anything better, right? Okay, no, uh, uh, which, which is easier, studying or scrolling? Studying? Studying, studying, scrolling. All right, we know. Okay, we know, we know, we know. All right, which is easier? Watching watching UW uh, put a smackdown on Illinois State last week or watching them drop a million on Washington State this week? Just kidding. They're both going to happen. Exactly, right answer, right? They're both going to happen. So I love it here, man. It's awesome. Dude, I've been, a, I've been in schools before. Man, I went, my high school and the school that I went to, the University of South Florida for my undergrad, I think we won in the four years that I was there, uh, like a total six games. So like, this is awesome. I love being here. We already got like more wins here than my senior year at USF. It's terrible. Okay, uh, which is easier? Which is easier? 
Which is easier? Maybe not the most famous words of Jesus, but actually, I think that as you come to know them, they'll, they'll, as we unpack them this evening, uh, they'll, they'll surprise you in, in the best way. Which is easier? Um, you just heard Jenica read this, and if you have a Bible, we'll still be in it. Uh, but Mark chapter 2, if you don't, you can just follow along with me. Mark ta- chapter 2, verse 1. When he, Jesus, entered Capernaum, which is kind of like his hometown, his home base, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together uh, there and there was no more room in this house not even in the doorway right so people out into the 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 street because they'd come to hear from Jesus uh, and he was speaking the word to them there and they came to him this other group of people now they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them four people wow that like went away out of nowhere okay yeah praise the lamb um Four people, four friends of this paralytic man brought, dang it, okay, four friends of this paralytic man brought this person to come and meet Jesus. I want to just set the scene for you in case this story feels a little unfamiliar, and I just want to invite you to step into it. For you to put yourself into this story, not as Jesus, not as someone in the house, not even as one of the four friends, but I just want you to imagine just for a moment that you're actually this paralytic man. That when you were born, there was a ton of joy, right? Because your parents had been like waiting and hoping and praying, oh, this is the child that we've been waiting for to come in, into the earth. And they celebrated that, that you were born. They celebrated that you came. But, 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 but a few months, a few weeks, a few months in, they start to watch you and they notice something, something, something is just a little bit, a little bit off, a little bit different, a little bit strange. He, he, he can sit up a little bit, but he won't sit all the way up. He likes to spend a lot of time on his back or on his front, but won't really move. And as you can continue to grow up, they, they start to notice just a little bit more that something clearly has happened, something clearly is broken, something clearly has, has occurred. You don't know when it happened, we don't know when it happened, but at some point this person became incapable of walking. Perhaps you had to be propped up as a child, but you couldn't stay up for very long. And you imagine this through infancy and then through childhood and then through adolescence and then through those teenage years and then into maturity. And it's the near Middle East in the first century, right? Like you don't have healthcare, you don't have hospitals, there's no disability insurance. You require constant attention and constant care. And regardless of how many times your parents tell you that they love you and that they care about you and that it's okay, you hear the conversation in the other room and you feel those sighs and those moments where their eyes just look at you in a way that you're like, that, that, that doesn't feel right, that, that feels like it's missing, it. that it doesn't feel like it's, it's on. And you start to, to, to take this shame and start to internalize it and embody it within yourself. You start to think that it's not so much that you have a problem, but that you actually start to believe that you are a problem. It creates issues relationally, emotionally, mentally. It actually starts to create issues spiritually. You can't get to the house of God to worship because they can't carry you week after week after week after week. And in fact, um, in this day and age, it was commonplace for people to actually assume that either you or your parents had done something wrong and had sinned and deserved this consequence and this condition. So you are now named by your condition. People see you in a particular way. They, They call you a sinner. They call you by your sin. They shame you and they shame your parents. And it's nothing that, it was just the way that you were born. It's the way that you are. You feel uh, this internalized shame. It's emotional. It's physical. It's spiritual. It's all these different things. And you're totally dependent on your parents, but you have a couple of friends. 
you have a couple of friends and friends are great to have, but even more so when you literally can't do anything for them and they're choosing to move towards you and to be your, your friend. And then one day your friends hear about this guy, Jesus, the whispers of the miraculous start to make their way through Capernaum to, to your home. He, he was gone, but now he's come back. And we've heard things about this Jesus. We've heard that he does things that no one else can do. He teaches with authority. This dude is different. He is him, right? Like, like who is this Jesus guy? We've got to get our friend to, to Jesus. We've got to get him to Jesus. It reaches the ears of your friends. They find out where he's going to be in that house that day. So they decide to bring you to Jesus. But you show up and you can hear the voice voices in the house before you even get around the corner and you see to your dismay and to your friend's dismay, there's no room. It's shoulder to shoulder in that joint. Like they can't get you to Jesus. They can't even get you inside, but your friends, your friends hatch a plan. Verse four, since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the man on the paralytic, on the, the mat on which the paralytic was, was lying. Your, your friends that you have, they're a crafty bunch. They genuinely care about you. And I just want to pause here for a moment because as I was reading this text this week, it made me think about our connection groups. It made me think about the small groups that we have, a group of friends that give their time and effort for the sake of one another. And that, that's just picture of gospel friendship, looking out for and being looked out for by the people that you're in a circle with in a way that may be costly or take effort, but you do it anyways, even for the weakest among you. And it's done for you when you're the weakest among them. I, I, I know this is a shameless plug, but I hope that you would get to experience that in one of our connection groups this year. Um, all right, back on, back onto the text. Okay, these friends of yours, open the book, get to the book. Okay, these friends of yours, they get you to the roof. And just imagine this, they remove the thatching and then they start to dig through the clay that made up the roof structure of this house. Just now imagine just being in the room and you're looking at Jesus' teach, you're shoulder to shoulder, it's sweaty, it's hot, like, and you're looking at him. And then all of a sudden, like, you start to see the roof, like, bow in a little bit. That would be kind of scary, right? Kind of odd. And then, like, you start to see a little bit of dirt, like, just drop, start dropping onto Jesus. And you're like, what is going on? And then there's, like, a, enough room for, like, a head. And you, like, see, like, someone staring in and it's like, well, that guy really wanted to hear what Jesus was talking about, but then you see him continue to dig and continue to dig, and then there's a man-sized hole for a mat just dug out in the roof of this house. Just, just imagine that happening. It's absolutely ridiculous. Nobody's looking at Jesus anymore. Everybody's looking up at the roof. It's inconvenient, and it's out of order, and, and, and Jesus doesn't seem to mind it one bit. And then your friends lower you down on a rope. Their hands burn and blister as they lower you slowly down to the feet of Jesus. And then there you are. You're just looking up at him on your back, just like you have been all of your life, just like how people have seen you all of your life, if they've even seen you at all. You've lived much of your life unseen, and the majority of people have seen you as a problem until now, until you are on your back and you look up at the eyes of Jesus and he looks back at you in a way that nobody ever had looked at you before. This Jesus does not see you as a problem. He does not see you as inconvenient. He does not see you as the world that had treated you as if you needed to be discarded. He treats you with gracious dignity. He sees you and he knows exactly what you need. And so he speaks. Verse five, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. All right, we can pause here. Um, 
Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. If you're not a Christian here, you might read that and be like, that's really odd. And it's okay for you to say that. <laughs> when, the, when the text comes through and something re you read is odd, you should actually pay attention to it. If you're a Christian, you might be like, that feels odd as well, right? Because you look back at him from your mat, you look back at Jesus, unsure of what to say in this moment. Your friends on the roof look down, unsure of what to say. The room is absolutely quiet because you're thinking, is it inappropriate to say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins, but I'm actually here for you to fix my spinal cord. Like, thank you, Jesus, but I, I need you to fix my actual problem. I need you to fix the real thing that I'm, I'm dealing with here. All right. While you may not be experiencing paralysis this evening, I know that every single one of us on the street is dealing with some very real problems in some very real ways. Maybe the problem that you have isn't paralysis, but it's actually back home with your parents or with a friend. There's some conflict back there. Maybe it's in your dorm or your apartment right now. It's day two of being in classes and you've got beef with your roommate, right? Like it happens, right? You've just got some, I saw heads, I saw a lot of heads nodding. All right, set them free, um, right? Maybe the problem's there. Maybe the problem is anxiety as you've looked around in your classrooms or even you look around on this street tonight and you look at it and you think, how the heck am I supposed to measure up? You compare yourselves to other people's consistently and you continually come up short. Maybe your problem is your need for success that has driven you to a place of performance that is already deteriorating your health. Maybe your problem is that you are craving acceptance to the point at which you are losing your integrity and you're not even sure already who you are anymore. The question that you might have for Jesus is this. Jesus, what are you gonna do about my problem? Like, the re what are you gonna do about my problem? And, and you, if you come to him, Jesus looks at you and he says, I have the solution for your problem. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. That you might be prone to think, uh, cool, Jesus, thank you very much, but could you fix the conflict between me and my roommate, okay? Well, please understand this. Jesus does not look at the paralytic's problem and he does not look at your problem as if they are not problems at all. That's a really poor understanding of the way and of the life of Jesus Christ. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with grief. He's a man of sorrows. He's a son of suffering. Jesus knows pain. Please do not let these kind of flowery, interesting pictures of Jesus where he looks so clean and so different and so separate and really, really weirdly Anglo-Saxon for being a Palestinian man, um, like like in that region, like, like, like don't let that that make you think that Jesus has no idea what mess and pain and problems are. Jesus is very well acquainted with those. It is not to say that your problem is not a problem. Over and over in the New Testament, we see Jesus moving towards the mess of problems in people's lives. Jesus is excessively good at fixing and solving these problems. Over and over, we see that he is good and able, full of compassion and love, to move towards the real issues of real people's lives. In fact, we will see him do that in this text, but you need to understand that if the only thing that Jesus did for this paralytic man was heal him in his body and then let him walk away, he would have walked away with a bigger problem than he had before. Because the problem that Jesus is coming after, that he's highlighting, is that there is a greater problem the paralytic man is facing. There's a greater problem his friends have, that everyone in that room has, that I have, that everybody here has. And the problem is our sin. 
Our sin creates a separation between us and God. It creates a gap, a space, a brokenness, a wound between us and him. And in this picture of the paralytic man, we actually see ourselves on our back, incapable of fixing what is broken, unable to bridge the gap created between us and God by our sin. And Jesus is excellent, hear me, of solving the problems of life. But this problem of sin is one that only he can solve. This is a problem that he has ultimately come to solve. The problem of our sin. Jesus came to be the solution to our sin problem. Jesus came in a word to be our our healer. He's come to heal us of our sin. There's a word that's used for this uh, healing and that word is salvation. The Christian gospel, if you've never heard it before, is this, that all humans are separated by God in our sin. And so God sends Jesus Christ to live a perfect life that we couldn't live and die a death that we deserve to take the punishment our sin deserves so that we might not ever have to experience the separation of our sin, but rather Jesus takes it on himself. Another word for this work is that he forgives us of our sin by taking what we deserve on the sin on himself on the cross. He dies, but he doesn't sin stay dead. He rises again three days later. He's seen by Roman guards, by Mary and Martha, by 11 of his disciples, and by 500 eyewitnesses who watched him be professionally executed, and they now see him alive. So when you put your trust in Jesus for salvation, he forgives you of your sin and gives you this new life with him now and for forever. This is the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's the good and true news of Jesus. And this word salvation in the original language is soza, think you were going to learn some Greek this evening, did you? It's soza, and that word soza means healed. The gap between us and God is healed. It's healed once and for all when we come to Jesus on our backs, unable to do anything to earn or deserve it, just knowing that we can believe in and trust in Christ alone and by grace alone, through faith alone, we are saved. And when we do that, he forgives us of our sin. He saves us. He heals us. It is those five incredible words, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. It changes your life because you no longer have to live under that sin anymore. You've been set free from him. It is establishes your identity. Jesus doesn't call him stranger. He calls him son. It's this term of belonging. Jesus is saying, you don't, aren't on the outside anymore. You belong with me. You're on the, the inside. You're with me now. And it, and it repurposes eternity for him. Imagine that moment that that man would, would die and cross over into eternity. And if he was asked this question, you get asked sometimes, if he was asked, what would you say to get into heaven? This man would say, Jesus said, I'm good. He said, son, your sins are forgiven, so I guess that's all I need. His sentence doesn't start with, I did this, or I performed in this way, or I kept these laws. He's like, Jesus said my sin's forgiven, so I'm good. He didn't say, son, your sins are maybe forgiven. He didn't say, son, your sins might be forgiven. He didn't say, son, your sins could be forgiven. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And that's what Jesus Christ has come to do, to heal the wound of sin and close the gap between us and God. Now, interestingly, this actually frustrated some people. (laughs) Look at verse six. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And these scribes are upset with Jesus because they recognize that by claiming to forgive sin, Jesus is claiming to have authority on par with God because only God can forgive sin. The problem that these scribes have, that these hyper-religious, self-righteous people have, is that they look at the paralytic man and say, he can't do anything. How could he earn the forgiveness of his sin? And it's as if Jesus is saying, that's exactly the problem that you have. It's not about what you can do to earn. It's about what I've done for you to be forgiven. It's not 
not about how you can perform. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done. So they're looking down their nose at him because they think they're better than he is. They're saying, we've done all the things necessary for forgiveness of sin. And Jesus is saying, the only thing that's necessary for forgiveness of sin is that you would put your faith in me. Did you catch that in verse 5? Seeing their faith, he looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. All that's required is faith in Jesus Christ. You are graciously forgiven, healed, and saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith plus something, not faith if you do something. It is simply faith. And that really frustrated people. It frustrated those who thought of themselves as better than the paralytic man on that mat on the ground. They looked at themselves and said, we deserve to be forgiven. And they looked at him and said, and he doesn't. And yet Jesus says that man's forgiven. The question is, would those scribes, would those religious people, would those self-righteous people continue in their self-righteousness or would they put their faith in Jesus and receive the same forgiveness? So Jesus actually responds to their murmuring. Verse eight, right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier? Which is easier? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you might know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. There's our three words for the evening, by the way, which is easier? Which is easier? For Jesus to heal this man's body or for him to heal the relationship between this man and God? You see, Jesus will heal this man's body with the word. And today we have hospitals and research and incredible professionals that can give a great deal of dignity and life to those who experience paralysis and they should be commended highly for it. I thank God for them. Some of you are going to be those people and I thank God for you in advance. But I need you to know there's no research, no hospital, no person on earth today that could do for this man's sin and soul what Jesus Christ would do. And it would not be by a word. Jesus would purchase the forgiveness of his sin for this man with a broken body by having his own body broken on a cross. He would experience helplessness for the sake of this helpless man by going up on the cross. Physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain for sin is experienced by Jesus Christ in death and then gloriously redeemed in the life of his resurrection so that we might know that Jesus Christ can do for this man and for us what no one else could ever do. Which is easier? Neither of these are easier. But only forgiveness of sin, only healing of soul, only salvation could be given to this man by Jesus Christ. And what's so dope is that Jesus still does both. Like this is the goodness of God. He forgives him of his sin. And then he says, oh, and I'm also going to heal your body so that they might know, yeah, it's easier to say that I forgave your sin. So so they know that I actually forgave your sin. I'll heal your body as well. Which is easier, neither one. But Jesus does both of them because that's just who he is. We see it in verse 12. Look at this. Immediately he got up and he took the mat and he went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave God glory saying, we have never seen anything like this. And friends, they had never seen anything like this because they'd never seen anyone like Jesus because there'd never been anyone like Jesus and there hasn't been anybody like him since. 
please don't miss this. Jesus still enters into the problem that this man was brought to Jesus for, but that problem was attended to after the bigger problem was. What was done in this man's body was intended to exemplify what had happened with his soul and with his sin. Jesus Christ had done this work of healing, and now this man is two things. Don't miss him. He's forgiven of his sin, and he's no longer paralyzed. His entire life, his entire identity, his entire being, how he was, who he was, what he was in the eyes of other people has changed with this one encounter with Jesus. For so long, he'd been known as the paralytic man. And because he'd been known as the paralytic man, they looked at him and thought, oh, and you're a sinner too. So you need to stay away from me. You need to stay away. I can't even, I can't be around you. And in this moment, Jesus has removed both of those by forgiving him and by healing him. I wonder, I wonder how would this man be known now? He came as a paralyzed man and Jesus calls him son, forgiven, healed, and saved. And while that's true of that man because he looked at Jesus, what about, what about you? What about you on this lawn? What's the thing that you've been known by that you desire to be freed from? And what if that freedom can only come from Jesus? You see, sin has this tendency of knowing your name, but, but calls you by your past. And while Jesus knows your past, he calls you by your, your name. He, he, he is that good. What if you were to encounter Jesus this year in a way that actually caused that thing that you've been known, that thing that's just been dragging, that, that sin, that brokenness in your life? What if he was actually the way to freedom? What if you were to experience that this year? What if tonight was the night that you were to experience and encounter Jesus and that your life was to change? I, I still remember this moment. I, I was um, living kind of the made-for-TV special high school senior year. Jock, you name it, I was doing it, man. Like, drugs, alcohol, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever, is, it was light work compared to, man, I was, I literally caught a case my senior year with the state of Florida. Um, and, and I'm sitting in my room uh, very much uh, <laughs> with a charge from the state. And I'm sitting in my room, and I have this moment when I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what went wrong? Like clearly something in my life is going, or clearly something like, like this is just how I was known. This is what I was known as, this is what I was known for. What, who actually am, what's going on? What's, what's, what, the, something has clearly gone wrong. So I brushed off the dust of my Bible my senior year. I hadn't opened it in like a decade. I brushed off the dust from my Bible, literally like dust on my, my Bible, like my little teen Bible, right? Just, just brush the dust off it, try to read it, have no clue what's going on, like at all. Like no clue what I'm reading. And, and so I'd sit there and I'm like, okay, what, what should I do? So I, I open my window because I think I'll get better reception and I like get on my knees and I try to pray. Like I just pray what I've got. And, and, and that prayer looks like this. It was literally this. It was, it was Jesus, help me. That was it. That was the prayer. It was nothing flowery, nothing special, nothing, uh, nothing like waxing poetic about it. It was literally just Jesus, help me. And over the next couple of months, he did. My friend DJ invited me to come to church and a man named Alan stood on the stage and he preached the gospel. He said that everyone was broken by sin, that the pain that we experience in life, the things that we experience in life, the brokenness we experience in life, it's caused by sin. But Jesus Christ has come to take away the sin of the world and to offer us new life if we would put our trust in him. And I looked at that man while he taught it and I thought three things. I thought, one, I think that you believe what you're saying and I hadn't heard that before in church. Two, uh, I realize that everything that you're saying is everything that I've been looking for. And three, if I put my trust in Jesus, a lot of my life is going to change. 
And so I had a bunch of questions and people were really patient with me in connection groups to actually answer those questions and rock with me and help me to learn how to love and follow Jesus until there was this moment in the summer of 2010 where, where I was in a worship service and I, this verse came to mind, John chapter 10, verse 28, where it says that he gives eternal life, that we will never perish and that no one will ever take him us from his hand. I realized in that moment that I was Christ and that he was mine. He'd done what was necessary for me to be saved and that I was his and no one could ever take me away from him, that it had locked in a changed life and established identity and, and restructured where I knew I was going to spend my eternity as I heard those four, five words from myself, son, your sins are forgiven. I've not gotten over that moment, guys. Like I've really not. And it hasn't always been easy, but it has absolutely been worth it to learn how to love and follow Jesus together uh, for the sake of those who are around me and for the sake of those who are around you. So I just, I just wanna invite you into that moment this evening. And I, wanna, I want you to think that maybe you're one of three people that are in this story. Um, maybe you're here tonight and you're one of the four friends of this paralyzed man. Like, you, you came here tonight because you knew that one of the first decisions that you wanted to make in college was to join a, a community of men and women who loved and followed Jesus or tried to do that and tried to grow in that together. You, you want to get in a circle, you want to get in rows to learn and in circles to, to grow. You want to be one of those four people in this story. You are one of those four people in this story. You want to be in a part of a group that will help you love and follow Jesus together in Madison. Well, welcome to Saul Company. I hope that we can be that for you. I hope that you join a connection group tonight. Um, maybe there's another group here, though. Um, perhaps if you were honest with yourself for just a moment, you'd find that you're in a different place than that that your problems that you've experienced since you've been here on campus are real, but there's a bigger problem that you're facing and it's sin. And if you're honest, you're the paralyzed one. And I've got news for you. Everybody on the street either was or is the paralyzed one, paralyzed by our sin. We can't earn enough, do enough, or be enough to get back to God on our own. But here you are on your back and there is Jesus speaking to you, looking to you, not seeing a problem, but seeing a person. Perhaps that's happening for the very first time. And the question tonight is, will you look to him with faith? Will you look to Jesus who offers to take away your sin and say, Jesus, I need you to take away my sin. I'll put my trust in you. The reality is this, you don't have to wait. You can do it right now and he will call you forgiven. Perhaps some of you are in a third category. You're here tonight and you feel more like the religious people that Jesus speaks to. You're actually frustrated a little bit with what I've said because you're frustrated that the gospel could be so simple. That God could be so gracious and kind that it would simply be faith in Jesus that leads to forgiveness and new life with Christ. But maybe underneath all that frustration is actually an exhaustion that you have. That you're actually really tired and you're exhausted of trying to white knuckle it and keep your life together. And that exhaustion is paralyzing. Maybe you need to come not just on your back, but actually on your face to humble yourself before Jesus and bring your exhaustion to him. You can bring your burden to Jesus this evening and he will give you rest. I need you to know that no one is so good that they don't need forgiveness from Jesus and no one is so bad that they can't have it. So whether you're here tonight and you're coming on your back or on your face, you can come to him.
You can put your faith in Jesus and trust in him to save you from your sin tonight. And those same words from Jesus will echo through eternity from a house with a man-sized hole in the roof to this street in the middle of this beautiful campus. The words of Jesus will come to you. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Jesus, um, even now, I pray that you would help people understand where they are. God, if there's people here who have come just trying to be one of those four friends, just trying to find a community to be a part of, God, I pray that they would find a home here at Salt Company, a home at Doxa. God, I'm grateful that you've gone way ahead of them, way before them, that, that you've been preparing a place even here, preparing them to be a part of a group even here. God, you've gone way ahead of them. You've been faithful to them, and I thank you for that. God, I pray for the person that's coming that feels exhausted and burned out on religion. And I pray that you would help them to see that it is by faith through grace that we are saved. That Jesus, you desire uh, to, to shape and to change their lives, but your invitation to them is to come and to bring their burden and to bring their exhaustion and find rest in you tonight. And God, I pray for those who are paralyzed by their sin, who've not put their trust in you, on their back, looking up at you, Jesus, that they would just see your face, the beauty of who you are, your beauty, Jesus. You are beautiful and you are good and you are true. And I pray that they would look up to you, that they would see you, they would put their faith in you tonight and hear your words, son, daughter, you are forgiven. So Jesus, we ask that you be with us even as we sing now in response. You're worth it. You're worthy. We love you and we're grateful. It's in your name. Amen.